All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. Um, today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2. While you're finding your place, uh, let me just say thank you to the men who came yesterday and, and helped with the work day. Um, all of you should probably be able to see better. We changed out a bunch of lights and, and things like that. So thank you for that. And uh, this week, we will be beginning a new series, Christmas Reveals. Christmas Reveals. And we're going to see, what does Christmas reveal about us? What does it reveal about God? What does it reveal about our future hope? Um, And so we're going to begin that series this week. I've entitled this week's message, Is There Anything Worth Waiting For? Is There Anything Worth Waiting For? Next week, we'll take a break uh, for our special Christmas cantata. I know that everyone has been working hard on that, and so we will come, and and we're going to enjoy that next week, and then we'll continue in our series after that. But this week, is there anything worth waiting for? Ecclesiastes chapter 2 will be the first text that we're in, and then we'll move over to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, not the whole chapter, but verses 1 through 11. So, If you'll join me in that, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, had slaves that were born in my house. I had also, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines that allied to the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil." And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. If you'll bow with me in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together here as a church to open your word, to read from it, to learn from it this morning. God, as we enter into the Christmas season as we begin to think more about Jesus, even though we should think about him every day, but, but as we begin to think specifically about him and we ask, Lord, that, that you would reveal to us what Christmas is about. You would reveal to us what Christmas means about us and about you and about our future hope as we work through this text this morning, as we work through this series, this Christmas season. God, be with us this morning as we examine the text. You help us to learn from it and to apply it to our life. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, Christmas is less than a month away, and and about this time as a kid, I would be a week into our countdown to Christmas calendar. You know, my mom, every, every year as we pulled down the decorations from the attic and we began to put those up, one of the things that she would pull down is this Christmas calendar. And, and every morning, my sister and I, we would get up and we would go and we would open one of the doors of the calendar, which signify that, that Christmas is one day closer. And every day, that was the first thing that my sister and I would do. We would get up, we would run in there. Before we had breakfast, before anything, we would open one of those doors and we'd say, oh, just 20 more days. Just 19 more days, just 18 more days. And I think we thought that Christmas was going to come much faster if we did that. But but looking back and thinking about that, I think it made Christmas come slower because we just, you know, anticipating, well, I got 18 more days left. I mean, man, this is a long, long time. We were just reminded every single day that Christmas wasn't here yet. My sister and I, we couldn't wait for Christmas to get here. We, we couldn't wait to see what, what we were going to get from my mom and dad and the presents that were underneath the tree. You know, for weeks and weeks, we, we would speculate about what that present was there. You know, was it a new Nintendo? I mean, it was the 80s, right? We didn't have Xbox One or Xbox whatever it is now. Uh, but, but man, I wanted a Nintendo. Was this a Nintendo? Or, or once I got the Nintendo, was this the new game that was coming out? Was it a new baseball glove or a basketball or a football, a new toy gun or bow and arrow. What, what was it that was underneath the tree? Hopefully it was not closed because what kid wants clothes at Christmas, right? I mean, it's practical. Parents are like, I'm going to make, I'm going to give them some clothes. But what, what kid wants clothes at Christmas? We all wanted a toy, something we can play with. And my sister and I, we would, we would go on for days like this, wondering, hoping, waiting to see what we would get. And while all the days leading up to Christmas were tough, nothing was, was tougher than Christmas Eve, right? I mean, Christmas was just right there. We were excited. We knew that we had to go to sleep because if we, the faster we went to sleep, the faster the Christmas got here. But it was tough for us, right? As kids, we could, we could hardly contain our excitement. And for kids, maybe some adults, the time leading up to Christmas is almost unbearable. But if you think about it, we're always waiting on things in life. For, kid, for kids, you know, it's, it's Christmas. As a teenager, it's getting your driver's license. It's, it's graduating from high school. It's, it's going off to college or getting your first job. As a young adult, we, we can't wait to move out of our parents' home, you know, get our own place, start our new job, start a career. And then, and then once we get our own place, once we, once we start a career, it's, I can't wait to get to the next level. I can't wait to get that corner office. And then after a while, you know, we, we're, we're in our career and we're thinking, and maybe some of you are here, I, I just can't wait for retirement. I mean, this, this has been great and all, uh, but I can't wait for retirement. Whether we're a kid or not, it seems we're always waiting for something. But, but here's the question. Can what we're waiting for satisfy us? Does it have the ability to bring us lasting joy and fulfillment? You know, when we lived in Fort Worth, uh, when I was in seminary at Southwestern Seminary there, uh, we lived just right around the corner from the Apple store. And uh, about this time, uh, the, Apple, the iPhone 4 was coming out. I know we're way past that now, but the iPhone 4 was coming out and, and it was my turn to, to get an upgrade. And, and the first couple of, of releases, you know, Apple, if you wanted one on, on launch day, you had to go and you had to stand in line, not just for the day, but, but for weeks. People would wait in line for weeks to get this phone. But, but by iPhone 4, they allowed you to, to pre-order. 
And so I logged on right at the time when you can do that. I secured myself a phone and all my friends were like, I can't believe you got a phone. I tried to do that and I couldn't get one. I'm like, yep. I was up at like 2 a.m. right when that thing started and, and I got myself a phone. And, and I, I remember waiting for a week and, and telling my wife and she's probably tired of hearing it. And like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna get the new phone. I'm gonna get the new phone. Finally, the day comes and, and, and when you did the pre-order, you could decide, would you have it delivered to your home, which would be the better option, or would you just go pick it up at the store? And I thought, you know, the, the store is just right around the corner. I'll just go pick it up. No big deal. Well, the launch day came. I went to go pick it up and, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was a line wrapped around the building on both sides. And I'm thinking, surely this isn't the pre-order line, but it was. It was the pre-order line. I thought, you know, I've already ordered this phone. I want this phone. I want it today. I gotta have it. And so I waited and I waited and I waited some more. Four hours I waited in line to get that phone, but I finally, I finally got it. I went home, I unboxed it, I set it up, and I was like, man, I've got the phone. I showed all my friends. I was so proud of that phone. I was on cloud nine for like a week. But guess what? I don't have an iPhone 4 anymore. I've got the, the, the newest one that, that's out now. And, I, and I've gotten a new one all, every time. You see, that phone did not satisfy me. Stuff in life cannot satisfy us. It can bring us joy and satisfaction for a moment, but ultimately it's not going to provide us with joy and satisfaction forever. That thing that brought me all that joy at that moment doesn't bring me joy today. I don't own it, nor do I want one if it's an iPhone 4. Stuff cannot bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction. And if you don't think that's true, just think back to your childhood. Do you remember Christmas time telling your parents, you know, if you would just buy me this and everything will be all right. Life will, I will be completely fulfilled. I will never ask you for anything ever again. <laughs> just buy me this thing this Christmas. Now, I would wager to bet that you've asked for things many times after that because stuff can't bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction. Or how many of you have worked hard to figure out just the right gift for your kids at Christmas or your grandkids? You know, I know now it's not really that big of a deal as far as toys go. Um, you can just order on Amazon that's delivered like the next day. Uh, but, but, but a while back, I remember, I know this has been a while, but, but remember the Elmo doll that came out? Everybody wanted one of those for their kids, but you couldn't find it anywhere. You couldn't really just order it then. You had to go to the store and you had to pick it up. And maybe you were one of those parents who said, I'm going to get that doll for my kid. I don't care what I have to do. You ordered it on eBay and paid thousands of dollars for it. You went and you stood in line at, at the store. Or maybe worse yet, you were one of those parents who got in a fight with somebody at the store because you wanted that for your kid. And you know, you thought it was all worth it, right? When, when, when your kid or your grandkid opened that up at Christmas and you saw the excitement and the joy on their face. Like, man, that fight was worth it. Going to jail that night was worth it. <laughs> but do you remember what happened to Elmo next week or next month? It's old news. Left in the toy box. Maybe even worse yet, was left outside and the dog chewed it up. And, and you may or may not have that dog today. But here's the thing. Stuff can't bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction. The toys we give and get at Christmas can't, our jobs can't, the milestones that we hit in life can't. 
Stuff, no matter what it is, cannot bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction. And not only does you know, our own life experiences us our own life experiences teach us that, but the Bible teaches us that as well. The book of Ecclesiastes is a great place for us to turn. And and the book of Ecclesiastes is about Solomon. And and Solomon, he's probably the the richest and the wisest king ever to live. Just to put it in perspective, if he was alive today, a new Bugatti supercar, you know, million, two million, three, whichever model you get, it's like pocket change to him. He has three Gulfstream jets and no ministry is ever going to be hindered. You know, while, while one is fueling, he's off to the next place to preach the gospel somewhere. A Ferrari, he, he's got a different color for every single day of the week. His house, no doubt, would have been featured in one of the top architectural magazines. Everyone from all over the world will be coming to see what he has. Solomon, the wisest, the richest king ever, could have had whatever he wanted, and that's exactly what he did. He allowed himself to indulge in whatever he thought would bring him pleasure, whatever he thought would bring him fulfillment. He held nothing back from himself. As you look through the beginning of chapter 2 in in Ecclesiastes, you see that he had the the greatest uh, buildings and gardens and parks. He had the best money wine could buy. He owned vineyards and farms. He made for himself pools of water. He he had water that, that would just pull these big, huge, giant water pools that would water forests of fruit trees and and other things. He had hundreds of servants and and concubines. He had everything anyone would ever want, silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, great possessions of herds and flocks, we are told. He had it all. And he confirms this in verse 10 when he says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Solomon had everything. Anything that he ever wanted was at his fingertips. And we often look at people like that and we say, man, if if that was just me, if I could just have what they have, if I was just at the position where they're at, if I just had the money they had, if I just had the home that they had, then I would be satisfied. Everything would be great in life. We scratch, we claw, we fight, we do whatever we can to get there. We go and we spend hundreds of dollars on lottery tickets and then we think about and pontificate about what we are going to do if we win this, you know, jackpot billion dollar lottery. But look at the conclusion that Solomon comes to in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, All was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And Solomon says, all of this was vanity. All of this was futile. All of this is like striving after the wind. You you can't catch the wind. You can't grab the wind. You can't hold on to the wind. You can feel it, but you can't grab it. You can't harness it. It just goes away. Solomon, a man who had everything that he ever wanted, comes to the conclusion that stuff, no matter what it is, cannot bring us ultimate joy and satisfaction in life. And if that's true, is there anything that can ultimately satisfy us? Is there anything for which the weight is worth? Well, I believe that Christmas reveals that there is. We turn over to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to encounter two characters, Simeon and Anna. And we find them in the temple. 
Mary and Joseph, they had, had brought Jesus to the temple to present him there to the Lord according to the law because it was their firstborn son that would redeem him. And in the temple, we run into Simeon first. And this is in verse 25. And we're told that, that Simeon is a righteous He's a devout man. He is waiting for the consolation of of Israel, the one who is going to relieve us from grief, who's going to relieve us from from trouble. He's waiting on the Christ. And the Holy Spirit, we're told there in verse 25, is upon him. He's waiting on the Christ because it had been revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. Now, if you think about that for a moment, on the one hand, that's pretty cool, right? I mean, you know that you're not going to die until you get to see the Messiah, until you get to see the Christ, the one whom whom God has sent as the God-sent Savior to redeem everything. But then on the other hand, I mean, you know, think think about that. Getting older is not always easy. You know, I've been told in the past that that getting older is not for wimps. And here's Simeon, he's, you know, he's facing that. And at first, his, his sight maybe begins to go. And he's thinking, or you're thinking, that's okay. Uh, I can still see. I don't really like to get out at night anymore at all. And, and so I can't see to drive at night, so I'm just gonna stay home. It's okay, no big deal. But then soon, day turns to night and you're having trouble reading your favorite book or you're having trouble watching your kids play their favorite sport or your grandkids play their favorite sport. And then maybe after a while, the, the years tick by and your hearing begins to go, but you're just like, hey, that's okay. I mean, they, they've got these really cool Bluetooth hearing aids now and, and I can put those in, I control it with my phone and I can listen to music. I can, I can talk to people. If my grandkids come over and, and you know, they get too loud, I, just, I can just turn it down right there on my iPhone. And, and everybody thinks, you know, grandma or grandpa, they're, they're just so patient with our kids. And you're like, yeah, it's just because I can't hear them. And you're like, it's okay. But then, you know, the pain associated with getting old starts to set in. It's hard to get around arthritis, the difficulties you have to start having surgery to replace, you know, your knees and different body parts. See, on the one hand, it's cool. I mean, Simeon knows that he's not going to die until he sees the Messiah. But, but on the other hand, it seems that it will be pretty tough. And that's where Simeon's at now. He's experiencing the difficulties of old age. And while the text doesn't outright say it, I believe it hints at the fact that that Simeon is just waiting to die. He's waiting to see the Messiah so that he can pass on. And day after day after day, he is looking for the Messiah. He's waiting, he's longing for him to come. And then one day, the Spirit directs him into the temple and the Spirit directs him to the Messiah. Look at verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. You see, at this time, Jesus is just a baby. It's like 40 days after or so he's been born. He's brought into the temple. He's just a baby. But the spirit directs Simeon to Jesus, the baby. And he says, this is the Messiah. This is the one that you've been waiting to, waiting for. This is the hope of all of Israel. This is the hope of all of mankind. Here he is, right here. And many of us might think, oh, he's just a child. What is he going to do? But look at how Simeon responds. Verse 28, and he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's not let down. Simeon responds with praise and and with thanksgiving. He believes that, that even though Jesus is just a baby, he is the one who is the revelation to the Gentiles. He is a light to the world. He's the one who is gonna bring us hope and salvation and redemption. He's not let down. Instead, it's a moment of joy. It's a moment of fulfillment for him. Meeting Jesus was worth the wait because he was able to lay his eyes on the Messiah. He was able to see firsthand the one who would bring ultimate joy, ultimate hope, ultimate fulfillment to all of mankind. Simeon wasn't the only one in the temple that day who ran into the Messiah. There was someone else, a woman by the name of Anna. In verse 36, we learn that Anna was a prophetess. And and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 884. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, now depending on which translation you have, there's a, there's a discrepancy there on her age. She's either 84 or like 105, if you do the math. Either way, it doesn't make too much of a difference. She is advanced in years. She's, she's probably dealing with the same health issues that, that Simeon is dealing with, that anyone over 80 or anyone over the age of 100 is dealing with. And on top of that, on top of dealing with these, these health issues, I mean, Anna has, has been alone all of these years. She was only married for a few years before her husband passed. She's been living as a widow. She's had no one to care for her, no one to provide for her, no companion to do life with and to go through the difficulties of life with. She doesn't have that type of support that many of you have experienced. She's been waiting. She's been waiting for the hope of Israel. Night and day, we're told that she goes into the temple and she's worshiping and, and she's fasting and she's, and she's praying. And while in the temple that day, she too encounters Jesus. And when she does, we're told in verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this wasn't a letdown for Anna either. Instead, she began to praise God. She began to witness to all of those who were in earshot that that Jesus was the redemption of Israel. Jesus was the one that they have all been waiting for. He's the one who would provide them with ultimate hope and ultimate joy and ultimate salvation. He's the one who would fulfill the world. And Simeon and Anna, they reveal that, that something really, someone is worth the wait. Jesus is worth the wait because he is our savior. He is our redeemer. In verse 30, we learn that Simeon calls Jesus your salvation. And then in verse 38, Anna calls Jesus the redemption of Jerusalem. Jesus does what no Christmas gift, what no life experience, what no job, what, what no possession can do. Jesus redeems us from God's wrath. He provides us with salvation. You see, we are sinners who have sinned against God and And I know it's popular to think that that sin is just, we just miss the mark a little bit. 
Things were just a little bit off in our life that day or at that moment. But sin is much more than that. Sin is us actually living in rebellion to God. Sin is us putting our fist up in the sky and saying, God, I know this is your world. I know you're our creator. I know this is your kingdom, but I am going to live as the king. This is my throne. I'm going to live life how I want. This is outright rebellion against God. And we have all sinned against God. We all say that. We've all lived that way. But here's the thing. Our God is a holy and just God. And because God is holy and just, he he cannot just have a relationship with us. We are sinners. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. Our sin and God's holiness are completely incompatible. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make ourselves holy. There's, there's no payment that we can make. There's no work that we can do. There's no pilgrimage that we can do. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to make our own selves holy. And since we must come before God, we will all face God's holy reaction to sin. We will all face God's wrath. And that is unless God does something about our sin because God is a holy and just God. God can't just forget it. He can't just say, I know you lived in rebellion to me. It's okay. We're cool. Come on in. Let's do this. Oh, a payment has to be made. And the bad news is, is that we can't make that payment. But, but the good news is, is that God can and God does make that payment for us. Jesus the Messiah comes so that he might pay the price for our sins. He shows up in Luke chapter two as just a little babe. But Jesus has come as, as the hope, as the redemption, as the, the salvation of the world. Jesus has come to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus has come to face God's wrath. He's come so that our sin might be placed on him and God might pour out his wrath. God might pour out his holy reaction to sin on Jesus. And Jesus does just that. Some 30 years later, after he met Simeon and, and Anna there in the temple, after he was brought, Jesus is, is taken and he is nailed to a Roman cross. And Jesus, as he's hanging there between heaven and earth, the Father pours out his wrath on the Son so that we might have an opportunity to experience salvation. Amen. So that we might have an opportunity to be redeemed. And all of those who would admit that they are sinners. All of those who would say, you know, God, I have lived my own way. I have done this my own way. I have rebelled against you. I recognize that. I recognize that you are the all-wise, sovereign God of this world, of this universe, that this is your kingdom. I have stolen your throne, but not anymore. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to allow you to be my king. I want you to direct my life. All of those who repent of their sins, turn from their way of doing things and turn to God and follow him. All of those who would admit that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, that they can't save themselves, that there's nothing that they can do, that they are completely inadequate. All of those who would admit that Jesus is their Lord and Savior can experience redemption and reconciliation and salvation. We will experience hope and joy and ultimate fulfillment as we are brought back into relationship with God, a relationship for which we have been created. 
And so Christmas does reveal that there is something, really someone that is worth waiting for, and that's Jesus. But, but the good news for us is that, that we don't have to wait to experience redemption. Jesus has already come. Jesus has already died for us. He's already resurrected. He's already sinning on his throne in heaven, waiting to come back to provide ultimate release from sin. And so we can experience peace and joy today if we would repent of our sins. If we would turn and we would admit that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We can experience that today. You see, the world will always, always let us down. Stuff cannot satisfy us. And so don't continue to wait. Don't think that that shiny new present that is sitting underneath your tree right now is going to do it for you this year. It's not. It's not going to do it for you. Don't keep searching for the next best thing. Don't keep trading things in year after year after year thinking that that is going to do it for you. Instead, turn to Jesus. Jesus will never let you down. He will never leave you. You will never want to trade Jesus in for the next best thing. He will provide you with ultimate joy and satisfaction in life. He will provide you with salvation and redemption And so unwrap the greatest Christmas present ever given this Christmas. Unwrap the salvation that you can experience in Jesus this Christmas. Unwrap the hope, unwrap the redemption that the Messiah gives this Christmas. Let's go to the...